Live from the heartland and the crossroads of America, it's Tony Katz today. Let's call it a feel-good story, shall we? It's amazing how people just being normal is considered a feel-good story. It's it's an act so rare that we call it an act of bravery. It shouldn't be, but I guess it is. Tony Katz, Tony Katz today. Find everything at TonyKatz.com, 833-468-8669. The Cornell Free Speech Alliance, 50,000 alumni. This is a a very active uh, group, pretty massive, 50,000 Cornell alumni. Um, They are calling on the alma mater to defend free speech literally at all costs, publishing a 100-page report calling for policy changes on campus. Recommends 20 policy changes, including adding free speech training to freshman orientation, implementing the famous free speech Chicago principles, eliminating DEI course requirements, and removing its anonymous bias reporting system. This is fantastic. Now, if you don't know what the Chicago principles are, I will get to them later this week. I, I promise I will I will dig into them and, and we'll explain it out and why they matter. And, and you would think that something so so fundamental you wouldn't even have to to write it down but uh sure enough uh there you uh there you are the eliminating of dei course requirements i could not be more pleased i could not be more happy that more and more people recognize that this bigotry has no place in their lives and we should stop implementing it. That DEI is the proof of bigotry. DEI is class warfare. I thought it would take five years for this to all be gone. I'm happy to see that things are moving apace. I actually thought it would be gone from corporate society in five years. I may or may not be right about that. Some, not all. Some people really want to live this way. They want to live with as much hate and anger as you can find. Some people, like 50,000 alumni at Cornell, don't. I'm thrilled by this. And, And I hope you are as well. I want to be supportive of this in other universities. And if you're an alumni of Pick the School, you should be working on these exact values. DEI has no place in the schools, no place near our kids, no place near education. It is hate, and it is the teaching and inculcating of hate. Be opposed to it. You can find this story over at TonyCats.com. We've got it posted because it matters that much. What's going on with China and the economy and how it affects you? That is next. This is Tony Katz today. Let's get down, let's get down to business. The headline was about China cutting some rates on a one-year rate and not a five-year rate. And I think normally in a normal world, you'd just be like, I don't care what China is doing at all in any way, shape, or form. I can understand not being worried about what China does. But what happens when what China does has an absolute effect to where you live in the Midwest? That the global economy is clearly at your doorstep. It is in what you buy that gets delivered to your doorstep at Amazon. It is what you're buying at the store. It is how the people dealing with your retirement fund feel at any one moment, never mind the things that they're actually investing in. To understand how it affects us, we first have to understand the fact that what's happening in China 
matters to us. This is happening not because you like it, not because you wanted to, but because it is. And if you don't understand it, you ain't ever going to understand how to deal with it. Tony Katz, Tony Katz today. Guys, what's going down? 833-GOT-TONY, that's the number, 833-468-8669. Find everything at TonyKatz.com, that's K-A-T-Z, TonyKatz.com. Dr. Matt Will joins us, economist at the University of Indianapolis, joining me to break it all down because uh, the these, these things, you know, it, it was two parts, right? It was the Wall Street Journal saying rates in China cut again, but by less than expected, you have uh, CNBC, China's central bank trims one-year rate, but unexpected, unexpectedly leaves their five-year rate unchanged. They are talking about the rate that their central bank uh, charges for a loan. A one-year loan price goes down. A five-year loan price stays the same. When you saw this, what did you say to yourself and what did the investor class say? Tony, what I saw, we talked about some of this on Friday. And between Friday and today, a lot has changed. Things that are alarming me and alarming people who look at the Chinese economy. Because they cut their rate, Tony. We're not cutting rates right now. The Fed is increasing rates. The European Central Bank is increasing rates. The United Kingdom is increasing rates. They're trying to control inflation. China's doing the opposite. What does that tell us, uh, Tony? That tells us that they may be not inflation, but past hyperinflation into recession depression mode, similar to what we've seen in Japan for the last 30 years. People don't even realize the Japanese economy has been at the same GDP level for 30 years. Rates up, rates down, it doesn't matter. China may be in a lot more desperate condition, Tony, a lot worse than we realized just three days ago. Let's make sure we understand what we're saying. We have seen inflation increase in the United States, and therefore you have seen interest rates go up. Interest rates going up in the United States have hit in a lot of places, and certainly real estate is one of them. I want to share this with you. This is a, a, a two-parter that took place on CNN. I, I think it was actually, it, maybe it was, no, it was just the other day. It was just the other day. Watch this. Listen to this. So this morning, mortgage rates in the United States have soared to their highest level in more than 20 years. Now, according to the data from Freddie Mac, the 30-year fixed-rate mortgage averaged above 7% over the week ending yesterday. A year ago, just over 5%. Now. That's the story. A year ago, 5%, now 7%. But let's go back two years when the inflation really started to become a conversation. Let me just show you, to your point, what mortgage rates have looked like over the last few years. Now, if you were lucky enough to lock in rates in August of 2021, well done. Let's say your mortgage repayments was $1,000 there. Today, your option is paying double that, even for above income, average income families, that's a huge whack. So you understand the problem here. Now, it's great, let's be clear, if you're a homeowner, but if the big American dream is to own your home, perhaps leave that money to your kids one day, um, that's getting further and further away. Twenty In 2021, 
2.86% on a 30-year fixed, now 7.09, and that number is going to hit 7.3, and these things are going up because interest rates were pushed up. What the Federal uh, Reserve is charging people to to share money, to, to, to borrow money, lend money, if, if you will, and these things have gone up. We have all felt the effects of it. You're now discussing the fact that China has cut rates and that indicator to you is not things are good, but things are worse than they told us originally. Tony, it's beyond desperation because think of it like this. Think of China as being three years ahead of us or two years ahead of us. They had hyperinflation. Now, they'll say, no, 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 our inflation was mild. We know the Chinese government lies. I'll give you an example. We have a lot of Chinese students who come to the University of Indianapolis. The first thing we do is put them on a bus and take them down to the uh, outlet malls in Edinburgh so that they can purchase a lot of stuff made in China because it's so expensive in China. So Chinese government lies about their inflation. So they've been through hyperinflation. They now, Tony, are towards recession depression direction. And so what are they trying to do? They're trying to spur some growth. So they're desperate. They're cutting their rates, hoping that people will borrow cheap money and buy stuff. Tony, this is the, the ultimate sign of desperation that they're trying to juice the economy. They're given that injection of morphine saying, get going. Tony, this is not a good sign. And there's going to be ripple effects. But this, the, the, the injection of morphine is an interesting uh, line because that's meant to dull the senses. Talking to Dr. Matt Will, economist at the University of Indianapolis. Um, uh, you know, uh, uh, the, the idea of cutting the rates... Is that the same idea as when we discuss Keynesian economics, John Maynard Keynes, and the idea that how you get an economy going is to prime the pump? Spending is what actually moves an economy. Now, I'm not a, a believer in this economic philosophy. I think it's, it's absolutely horrific. I think that F.A. Hayek is much more uh, on track in the conversation of savings and what that does for an economy. But is this, is this the attempt? Lower that, that rate get that quick money going into the system or at least getting it borrowed and somehow that's going to work out for them. Is that the plan? And has that ever in history worked out for a nation? Uh, Tony, that's exactly the plan. And no, it has never worked out in history. And that's exactly what we're seeing China do right now. They've had the inflation. They've been fighting the inflation monster unsuccessfully. Again, they lie about their data. We know on the ground from businesses what they're experiencing. Their economy has slowed. In fact, again, their data is false. They may actually be in a recession already. And they are so desperate to get it going that they're trying to inject it right now with some juice to get this thing moving. So you're right. Morphine may have not been the right analogy, but they're trying to put some drug in this economy to get it going. That's a sign of desperation. And that's what we see happening. Tony, they used to lend money. And they still do to say, hey, build a building. We talked about this on Friday. Put up a, you know, a, a, a ghost city just to get people working, building stuff, making things. Tony, it didn't work. Evergrande went under. The top three indices of REITs in Singapore for China are down 66% over wait, a year. Wait, 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 year. Definition, REIT. Oh, a real estate investment trust. So it's, it's a, like a mutual fund that invests in real estate. So the top three mutual funds, if you will, called REITs that invest in Chinese real estate are down two thirds year over year. This is more than just Evergrande. So the Chinese government is going nuts. They're thinking, okay, real estate's bursting. What do we do? Quick, 
Give the economy some drugs, cheap money. Tony, it's not working. This is this, the ripple effect you talked about at the beginning. We may want to get into it. How is this going to affect everybody else that the Chinese economy is collapsing? Oh, we, we are going to get into it. Talking to Dr. Matt Will, economist at the University of, of Indianapolis. Uh, yes, uh, the, the word you're looking for is uh, epinephrine or adrenaline. Yes, that is the shot that uh, these economies are, are looking for. Knowing that something doesn't work is not often the thing that stops people from doing the thing. We see this time and again, and certainly we see that China has been willing to lie. Uh, we talked about Evergrande, which is this real estate conglomerate, if you will. They've lost $81 billion between 2021 and now. They've gone to Manhattan courts and other courts around the globe to declare bankruptcy uh, because of their real estate holdings and that there's there's nothing there. And this was a, a, a problem to you uh, as we discussed it last week, but also predictable in as we talk about the ghost cities the building of apartments that nobody is going to rent because even china doesn't have enough people to rent them they certainly don't have the money uh to 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 rent them this in the cutting of the rates you see as much bigger of a problem we know that they don't report their youth unemployment anymore how exactly how many economists like yourself saw that news today about china cutting one-year rates and said, oh, oh, this is really bad. Well, I'll give you the, the information on that one, Tony. UBS announced today a significant cut in the growth forecast for the Chinese economy. UBS, one of the largest banks in the world. This is on the heels of JP Morgan, Morgan Stanley, Barclays, Nomura. So, Tony, other banks, the major economic analysis institutions in this world, are cutting the growth forecast for China. And it gets worse because China is nervous about these banks doing this because these banks are cutting their forecast because they're giving the public information that China doesn't want you to have. They're now attacking these financial institutions. Tony, a company called Mintz Group, which is one of the major statistical analysis financial research country, companies in the world, they were fined $1.5 million by the Chinese government this week for doing statistical analysis on the economy. For telling the truth. Yes. Right. One and a half million dollars for just telling the truth. They were raided. Bain Capital had their offices raided for the same reason. Talking to Dr. Matt Will, economist at the University of Indianapolis. Now let's get into it. And certainly, as there are global pressures, there are going to ha we're going to feel an effect on a very, very large scale level in the United States. And there is global recession. We know there's recession in, in Europe and we know that China uh, lies. And since so many nations depend on China for the per for the purchase of cheap, ineffective goods, uh, there's there is an effect throughout the economy. Get into some Midwest specifics here, because um, we often hear about how these things affect Wall Street. Well, there's a lot more than Wall Street out there. Midwest Main Street has been feeling the effects of this economy for three years. As, as somebody put in the comments, Bidenomics is clearly working, which it isn't. But I don't know if you can blame everything in China on Bidenomics. How does the China situation affect Midwest Main Street? Tony, let me first tell you how it in fact impacts Japan. I know that's coming out of left field here. Japan, which remember back in the 80s was like the growing economy, the one that we were looking at as our major competitor, they stalled. Their economy has been totally stalled in depression slash recession for 30 years. Japan had 6% growth last quarter, 6%. Why? 
because they're getting business from China. They're now becoming an exporter like they were in the 80s. We buy stuff from China, Tony. We buy cheap goods. We buy our supply chain. So when China suffers, there's an impact on us. Less goods, supply chain slows down. You don't have as many choices and the things are, are, are not as cheap. We had a recession, Tony, in 2008 that we caused. The U.S. economy, real estate bubble burst, caused a global recession. China is going to do the same thing. It, can, do you parallel it that much? Yes, Tony. They're the second biggest economy in the world. I mean, they gave us COVID and look what happened. China can impact the world. They did it with a, with a virus. They're going to do it with the economy. It's going to happen. Talk to me about what people on Midwest Main Street will see first. I mean, we already have things that we have seen, but that has come from levels of U.S. spending, lies about the Inflation Reduction Act and other things. We're talking about the price of milk, uh, the price of eggs. Gas last week was uh, at three eighty-five a gallon. I don't know what the average is now, but it was the highest it was uh, in, in, in 10 months. Uh, as China starts to implode, uh, number one, uh, what what is it that we will see on the front lines? And then number two, what should we be looking for down the road as an indicator of further implosion? Well, down the road and right now are, are, are linked, Tony, because what businesses have already started doing very quietly behind the scenes is shifting their resources from China to India, to Taiwan, to Japan, to South Korea. You know, we see this monumental meeting between Biden, South Korea, and Japan happening right now, which I think is a good thing. These two countries hate each other, South Korea and Japan, yet they're coming together as a substitute in part, not just for national security, of economic um, agreement against China. So you're going to start seeing shifting of things. Now, it's not going to happen overnight. That's the long-term, short-term connection, Tony. Over time, we're going to slowly wean ourselves off the Chinese economy. That's not easy. That is not going to happen quick. And there is pain involved in that when you don't get things you need. Tony, things you buy in your daily life and your computer and your cell phone are made in China. So the question is, do you start seeing less of that stuff in the store or do you start seeing, never mind the cell phone, how about T-shirts? How about the way you clothe your kids when you've got young kids and you're buying inexpensive clothes because they burn through it so quick and that $2 t-shirt is now a $3.50 t-shirt or the pair of jeans or the pair of shoes is up $5.75 and it's no longer made in China. It's made somewhere else. And certainly I want to see that manufacturing coming back to the U.S., but it involves a cost. When do you believe uh, the average consumer, Midwest consumer, start seeing that price increase? Never mind the price increases they've already have uh, seen because of our own inflation. I'm talking about because specifically of the China implosion. Uh, Tony, you already see it. And what's going to happen is we're going to confuse it. We're going to see the price increases because we think it's related to the Bidenomics inflation when in fact it's related to the Chinese inflation. So you're going to see that connection happen immediately and continue on. I actually think long-term it's going to be beneficial I think maybe two or three years down the road, we'll wean ourselves off of the Chinese economy. It's not easy. It's going to be painful. So just to warn people, but it will happen, but it's going to take a few years. And China is going to look to other places to try and gain back that economy. And that creates a very unstable world, watching their relationship with Russia, watching their relationship with Iran and with others. Well, 
We'll follow that as well. Dr. Matt Will, economist at the University of Indianapolis. Follow him on Twitter at D-R-M-A-T-T-W-I-L-L, Twitter, X app. I don't know what you're calling it. It's X. It's Twitter, you guys. You guys figure it out. Dr. Matt Will, I appreciate you. More is coming up. I'm Tony Counts. Brad Chambers getting into the race for governor changes the race for governor. It's certainly a more interesting race now because now work has to be done. It moves people right out. It forces others to have direct competition. The former Secretary of Commerce changes that dynamic. Tony Katz, good to be with you. Find everything at TonyKatz.com. But there is a bigger story. In Indiana, let me bring in Gary Dick. Uh, he is inside IndianaBusiness.com on Twitter at IIB. Find him on the Twitter box at Gary Dick, G-E-R-R-Y, at Gary Dick. Uh, they're on the Twitter X app thing machine box. The thing that's bigger, and we'll get to Brad Chambers entering this race, is what's going on with steel. We talked about it last week. That there was a bid for U.S. Steel, that there's a question about what's going to go on uh, with this. Uh, you know, the the offer was from a group called Cleveland Cliffs. Uh, whether they're going to buy um, U.S. Steel, the, the 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 foundry they've got, the work that they do in Gary, and could this mean an end to that facility, and therefore a serious serious issue for northwest indiana what is the update there what is going on and is this company about to get sold we shall see uh, but you are right tony a lot of uh, concern uh, let's face it in northwest indiana as uh, it uh, was revealed uh, here within the past week or so the u.s deal in fact is weighing options is weighing uh, acquisition offers you mentioned cleveland cliffs they rejected a $7.3 billion buyout offer from Cleveland Cliffs. A lot of people think that makes the most sense for Cleveland Cliffs to, uh, in fact, acquire U.S. Steel to create uh, a, a, a mammoth uh, integrated steel company. Maybe some antitrust concerns uh, from the government there. But it has uh, created really an air of uncertainty in northwest Indiana with U.S. Steel, which, with steel, which is really the heart and soul of northwest Indiana. In fact, something I didn't know is U.S. Steel – founded Gary uh, when it located its big Gary Works uh, operation up there many, many years ago, uh, 100 years ago plus uh, on the shores of Lake uh, Lake Michigan. So uh, it is a big story really for Indiana, but in particular Northwest Indiana, where U.S. Steel continues to uh, to employ thousands of workers. The, the idea that we don't know whether or not this deal is going to come through is there possibly if if U.S. Steel is is saying that look we 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 didn't entertain a, a, a buy right they rejected the offer from Cleveland Cliffs Cleveland Cliffs Incorporated that was a seven point three billion dollar buyout offer. Um, yep. They didn't reject it as if to say we wouldn't sell. They rejected it as if to say seven point three billion is not enough. So the question is what is enough and who else could be a potential buyer and could any of those other buyers lead to other issues like the federal government saying, nope, you can't be somebody who buys our steel industry. Yeah, it, it, indeed, Tony. In fact, we, uh, we talked about it on the show this weekend in terms of potential antitrust, uh, uh, concerns uh, on the part of the government creating uh, essentially one uh, sole uh, domestic uh, steelmaker. But uh, but having said that, uh, a lot of speculation, uh, S-Mark, 
uh, is run by a former U.S. deal executive, made an all-cash offer for $7.8 billion. That was uh, rejected as well. So this is a story that I think is beginning to heat up. And again, the implications for Indiana and for Northwest Indiana substantial, not just the thousands of workers who work at U.S. Steel, but also the the many, many suppliers and others uh, in the region who are tied directly to the uh, to the steel industry. Now, I will say one thing on the positive side, or at least a, a little silver lining when it comes to, to workers at those U.S. steel facilities, is there is succession wording in the, uh, the union contract for the next several years that protects them in the event of a sale. Nonetheless, uh, a lot of concern, and as much as anything else, uncertainty, and it comes at a time I think, when Northwest Indiana is really kind of on the cusp of uh, a lot of momentum. You and I have talked about the expansion of the the South Shore Rail Line, the double tracking up there, uh, a number of communities in the region investing big dollars uh, into quality of life projects. There seems to be, for the first time in a long time, uh, a lot of uh, a lot of momentum there. And this, uh, at least for the time being, puts a little uncertainty over that. Talking to Gary Dick from InsideIndianaBusiness.com on Twitter at IIB. 20% of the nation's steel is made yep. in Northwest uh, in Indiana. Uh, it is a job, we a, a consideration we'll continue to, continue to take a look at. But you did speak with uh, Brad uh, Chambers. Uh, and you, you, you have, I should say, spoken with Brad Chambers. You also spoke with uh, David Rosenberg, who will be taking over for Chambers as the Secretary of, of Commerce. Less about that and more about how this Brad Chambers entry has changed the field and how the business community sees uh, this this race. What has Chambers done to either invigorate people to paying attention to the governor's race or has it been the opposite? And they're like, all right, now there's five people. Dear Lord, I don't know what to do. <laughs> you know, I think as much as anything, it is uh, perhaps spurred a little bit more interest uh, in the race. Uh, as you mentioned, uh, begin- beginning to be a bit of a crowded field. But uh, Brad Chambers has uh, certainly raised his profile, uh, been a very successful business executive, growing Buckingham companies into a $3 billion-plus uh, portfolio uh, real estate uh, investment company here in Indianapolis, very successful there. And in his two years as Secretary of Commerce, that, that profile in the community and around the state has increased, uh, led uh, some record numbers from the uh, Indiana Economic Development Corporation in terms of of economic development activity and also is getting it has gotten the state into some uh, some new areas microelectronics semiconductors uh the electric vehicle space and some of these other areas these newer economy areas that uh, indiana is in now so it will be interesting to see how things uh work out he is a, again a successful business executive i think there'll be some some personal funding he'll be able to bring to the race uh from a from a funding standpoint uh, as things go forward, you know, what, looking at, at the at the site and uh, seeing some of the stories that you're that you're covering, um, I often uh, try and see if there are like certain levels of of trends uh, that that are going on, things that are happening. You guys are really across the board. Uh, today at InsideIndianaBusiness.com. But one of the stories that was interesting is the story of how Coach Woodson, Mike Woodson, uh, IU, uh, got a raise. He got a pay raise after a year. His average salary is $4.2 million a year. He's got four years remaining 
on uh, the, the the contract, uh, and I, I it doesn't matter to me what he makes. It's a question of. Are, are we? Are, are, is is it the alumni that's fine with this? Is it the university uh, that that's that's fine with this? Is this uh, does this make sense to anybody? Well, you know, I, I think Tony, as much as anything, I, I think it's a reflection of uh, a the university being um, you know liking the direction of the program where things are going to take it to the T, the, uh, the IU to. Uh, two uh, NCAA uh, uh, tournament appearances, first time in, a, I think, a decade uh, on that. I think, generally speaking, if you talk to the fans, they like where things are going from a recruiting standpoint. Uh, and otherwise, uh, he's brought, uh, I, I think, you most would say, you know, relevance, excitement back to the IU basketball program. So I think there are things, a lot of positives there, and I think it's a reflection of uh, wanting to reward that and also be remain competitive in, in what is a, um, uh, a crazy landscape in college athletics as we look at uh, everything from uh, these, these massive uh, conference re- uh, realignments, uh, television deals, NIL, all those types of things. Uh, it's always been or a long time, for a long time has been a business, college athletics, and uh, no better example of it than what's going on now. And, and we should be clear, uh, Gary, what's going on with the expansion of the Big Ten is th- this This is sea change stuff. It's really not getting discussed yeah. much. But if we were to do a, a breakdown of, of what this is, how this changes the landscape of the Big Ten, the opportunities of the Big Ten, certainly the travel uh, within the Big Ten, which is going to be a whole nother issue uh, to discuss, um, this, is, this is a bit of madness. We should get into that. Uh, in the future, but I love the quote from Scott Dolson, who's the athletic director uh, there at IU. I believe under Coach Woodson's leadership, we have positioned the program to compete uh, at at the highest levels in recruiting, which in turn will enable us to compete at the highest levels within the Big Ten and in the NCAA tournament. So uh, basically, you get yourself a winning coach, and he's worth all the money in the world because then you can get the the winning students the winning the winning players it's uh it's 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 marketing it's it's ensuring that you've got the marketing piece in order to get the people of course everybody knows it it's just a question of the cost to it i love that quote you can read more of it at insideindianabusiness.com gary dick inside indiana business i appreciate you taking the time to be with us there's a lot more to get to find it all at tonycats.com i always say there's more to get to i need another expression like like, how many times are you supposed to hear that in a day? How many times am I supposed to say that? Every now and then, again, you always got to be reviewing yourself because you'll find yourself using, like, a crutch. There's more to get to. I need something else. Catch on the flip side. Wait, no, that one sucked. We'll be back in two and two. Nope, nope, that's taken. That's taken. I'm Tony Katz. This is Tony Katz Today. interesting moment uh, in a recent interview where uh, Governor DeSantis talked about Trump supporters. He used the word words listless vessels. But I he wasn't play- talking Hold about on. Trump supporters. Hold on. I'm going to play it for everybody and then All you right. can go ahead. Let's listen. Movement can't be about the personality of one individual. If all we are is listless vessels that's just supposed to follow, you know, whatever happens to come down the pike on Truth Social every morning, th- that's not going to be a durable movement. Everybody just saw there that there was a cut. You cut from the beginning of that quote 
to the listless vessels. You just did what the problem is. So everybody who just watched that, understand, go read the transcript. So, okay, fine. So you, summar- you summarize for us what, what, what was it that he was trying to say? He, he doesn't have to summarize for you. That's Ken Cuccinelli. It's CNN being caught in a lie. Paul Begala, who uh, the late Rush Limbaugh used to refer to as the forehead, uh, just sitting there like, oops, we got caught. Oh, well, I guess I'll pretend it doesn't matter. Of course it matters. Tony Katz. Tony Katz today. Find everything at TonyKatz.com, 833-468-8669. Not referring to Trump supporters as listless vessels. But then again, the idea that media will absolutely lie to you. Going back to Paul Begala, check this out. And, and the fact that Trump's not at the debate in person, he'll be there, he'll dominate because he's, but he's ahead by so much. Uh, I, I, think he, I think Christian's right. He's making the right decision not to come to the debate. I think he's making the wrong decision the way he selected his counter-programming. Mm. Um, uh, he's, he's going on with a, a fired talk show host on a failing platform. He's Donald Trump. He should have a rally. That's what he does best. Not sitting around whining with Tucker Carlson. He- a fired talk show host on a failed platform? You're on CNN. Tucker gets more viewers when he picks his nose than you get. Fired host on failed platform. Good God. That's actually what made... They consider that acceptable. And no one says, Paul, you're being ridiculous. Tucker gets better ratings for one of his videos than we all get combined in a month. Can we, can we settle down and be serious? If one of our parents dies, our audience drops by 50%. Can we be honest about the very, very few people we reach here at CNN? That'd be great. Paul Begala's a chump, a chump of a human being. That said, you know, Trump going on with Tucker does have its own level of of dangers to it. And certainly Trump could have just done a rally in, in Iowa. Those would have been acceptable things to say. Going after Tucker's is some pretty foolhardy uh, stuff. But one of the arguments I thought was, was fascinating and, um, is going to make the rounds. Is that what you see? Uh, Trump's not going to show up for the debate. He's, as he's not, he won't be there in Milwaukee. He's going to sit with Tucker Carlson instead. Uh, he's not going to show up at the GOP debate, which is really about the failing of uh, Rona McDaniel. But then again, I have a whole different take on Rona McDaniel because I, I, first uh, she heads up the RNC and I consider Rona McDaniel a world-class failure. She's terrible. Absolutely terrible at her job. Absolutely terrible at this gig. I mean, just awful. But she's allowed Asa Hutchinson to be on, on, on the stage, the former governor of Arkansas. She's allowed Francis Suarez, the mayor of Miami, to be on the debate stage. Why? These two guys aren't getting the nomination. Suarez is only there to attack Ron DeSantis. There's no purpose in it. She should be ashamed of herself. But since these people are going to get in the way, confuse things, make it seem bogged down, maybe it's helpful to Trump. And since she's only in her position because of Trump, maybe that's why they're on the debate stage. I don't know. I, I don't put anything past anybody these days. I don't know why, why I should. But there's this theory that now that Trump won't show up to the debate, now Biden has an excuse not to debate Trump. Ah, that's a very interesting theory. This goes along with people like California 
states like California, people like Gavin Newsom, who are saying uh, Trump should not be allowed on the ballot because he's a, he's a, what, Trump is disqualified, not a felon, felon's the wrong word. He's disqualified because of the 14th Amendment. No, he's not. Doesn't matter what they say. But when they don't allow him on the ballot in certain places, how in the world do you win the electoral votes? This is, again, a problem for Republicans. You got to pick a nominee. Who are you going to pick? Because what they're going to do to Trump is obscene. And there are going to be states that don't allow him on the ballot. I still have to support him as the only choice? That's silly. He's not my choice. If he's the nominee, I'll vote for him. But you are going to watch them pull out every trick there is. And if your answer is, how dare they? Well, then you don't understand how to fight. You need to win so you can get somebody in there to make the changes, whether it's to elections or anything else. And you have to win. That's why I keep talking about the fact that I don't think Trump can win a general. That's my issue. But it's interesting how they're saying, well, now Biden won't have to debate. Biden may not debate. I mean, that's very, very possible. That they'll blame it on this? (laughs) Sure. But we know it'll be his old age and infirmity. There's a lot more to break down in all of this, and we're going to get to it all this week. Really, the sub-stories and subplots and, and how this most affects us. And also, I got to dig more into the polling. I try not to do it all the time, but when we do talk polling, like I talked some today, I want to make sure I understand every part of it, margins of error and, and number of people, because that has an effect on whether or not you should listen to the poll and never believe just one poll, because you, you just can't believe just one poll. You, you can't do it, although storylines, they come no matter what. Find everything at TonyKatz.com. You want to become a supporter, I would greatly appreciate it. T-O-N-Y-K-A-T-Z. TonyKatz.com. Tomorrow, everyone, take care.